welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. This week, Jim joined Dr. Timothy Doerr in the offices of the School of Education and Social Policy at Northwestern University. Jim and Tim have a professional relationship and a friendship that spans over a decade. And every time they get together, ideas seem to fly. Dr. Doerr's career spans over 25 years, seeped in leadership and education. In 2008, he was named the principal at New Trier's Winnetka campus in Illinois. As New Trier principal, Doerr led one of the largest and most successful schools in the country, supervising a staff of 450 employees and a student population exceeding over 3,000. In 2013, Dr. Dorr was named Director of the Masters of Science and Education program in the School of Education and Social Policy at Northwestern University. And now without further ado, please enjoy this conversation on social-emotional learning, leading with kindness, and Northwestern's new teacher leadership program with Dr. Dorr. So, uh, <laughs> optimism. We were talking about, now we've tried to record this a couple times. You're talking about, you wake up in this, in sort of a state of optimism and, and the previous day is behind you. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know. My dad, you know, my dad used to tell me about this because he would see me. You know, he always said to me, he said two things to me. One is uh, about myself, which I always thought was really fascinating. And, it, 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 and I think it's true. He said, Tim, you're, you're going to be really, you got to be really careful because you don't judge people. And people are going to take advantage of you as a oh, result wow. of that. Mm. And he said, he said, you're, it's one of your superpowers. You know, it's one of those things you're really good at is that you, when you meet mm. people, it's like, there's no judgment there. Yeah. And right. And he said, you got to be careful because some people are going to, you know, he said, it was the sort world of, is tough. Yeah. yeah. But then he also said that I was, you know, just this eternal optimist that I was getting up every morning and, yeah. you know, forgetting yesterday and being ready for the day. And I don't, I don't know where that comes from. But it's but always been like that. It's always been like that. Hmm. And my, and my dad, um, my dad was is pretty was was pretty optimistic. So I probably got some of that from him. Right. Um, but my mom is like the biggest hypochondriac. Like the world really? is the sky is falling always with her. <laughs> I mean, she's lovely and she's sure. very positive in some ways. But she's also kind of like always sees the glasses half empty yeah. and. I think my dad always saw the glasses half full, and I think um, uh, that that's probably where I get a little bit of it. But some of it is just who I am. I mean, the, the, the world conspires against me. You know, you would imagine <laughs> that I would get up every day, especially what we've been through recently, and yeah. you know, just look at the negative. But I don't. You just don't. And that is. So I want to invest. That's not even what we're talking about today. But I love the idea. Is is that a common? Is that a nature nurture thing? It must be. There's just got there's got to be some chemical cocktail in your brain <laughs> that makes you who you are. Yeah, and, then, think, and then it was modeled as well. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think what I've learned now, you know, getting on an age and, and having worked with thousands of students, you know, that's that's the place where you really figure this stuff out. Is yeah. my data set is huge. My mm-hmm. N is huge in terms mm-hmm. of the number of students I've worked with, and and what I've come to believe is. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, there's there's no denying that. And I think you could probably say in a lot of ways, I believe that uh, nurture is probably more important than nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've seen people who have really learned things and done things despite whatever right. their individual personality or situation is. But I think to ignore both, any, you know, either of them is ridiculous. Yeah, and right. so it's, it's, and that's what I love about teaching. It's what I love about working with people. It's what I've always loved about 
every job I've done or every you know profession I've worked in, it's been about working with human beings mm-hmm. because they're so interesting. Yeah, <laughs> they're just yeah, yeah, so yeah. interesting, and it's also the part that makes it the most complicated. Yeah. Is is every single person is so unique mm-hmm. that it is very difficult to apply yeah. any kind of universal right you right know, and 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 one size fits all model. Well, isn't that the two sigma? Dilemma, is that right. a familiar thing in, yeah. in these quarters? And for people who don't know Two Sigma, was that Bloom as well? Yeah. yeah. Was uh, essentially solved education, was able to move positively everyone in a classroom to standard deviations from the mm-hmm. previous norm uh, in the positive direction. He's like, we've got it. And we can never replicate it right, you can't, because you can't. it takes complete individualization. Yeah. it's it's And I, it's think, you know, I think this is one of the things that right now is very popular is is – whether you call it individualization, differentiation, personalization, yeah. this is a big, big area right now yeah. of not just education, but the business world mm-hmm. and of life. And and I think it, it it's funny because I think what we want to do is apply a universal strategy mm-hmm. to personalization, which is just ridiculous, right? right. It's an oxymoron. So, right. um, I, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and yet at the same time, and this gets to this piece that we were talking about earlier, which is the polarity idea mm-hmm. that we want to have individualization and differentiation, but we also have created, for example, a school system which is based on the platoon system, you know, which is we are going to teach groups of mm, kids. Right, right. Now, there are some models of schools that are individualized. There are some models where you are a class of one right. as you go through K-12. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and there are few, but they exist. And uh, But the majority of schools, even if they're radical charter schools or... Um, you know, experimental schools tend to have groups of people learning together. Right, right. And then within that, we try to find ways of individualizing, personalizing, whatever. Which, would you agree that that's probably, there's two things that jump out to me from that. One of them is logistically, I don't know how we jump that. Right. There's not enough money in education to pay people appropriately now, probably. Right. right. Um, and, and that's the big one. But also, I, you know, there probably is some inherent value in being in a group. Mm-hmm. Of course, for sure, yeah. for sure, for sure. In fact, um, you know, I mean, this is when we get, we'll talk about social emotional learning. I mean, you know, two, if you look at the Castle uh, 5 SEL standards, mm-hmm. two of them are very much about, well, three of them are really about individuals mm-hmm. and two of them, but two of them are about interacting with other people. Right. And it's critically important right. that you can do both. There's a researcher here who's done work on the impact of technology on learning and on SEL. Hmm. And she did this incredible study in um, uh, with a group of, of um, elementary students. Yeah. And she looked at the deployment of one-to-one computers mm-hmm. or, or technology, whether it's iPads or Chromebooks or whatever, and the impact that it had on them in terms of SEL. Hmm. And what she found was that they, she had one group that was, uh, you know, didn't have any uh, laptops or any kind of devices one to one, and then she had a group that was it was one to one, and she was comparing the two. She found that the kids who, um, you know, didn't have anything, you know, we know the, how that is sort of the old model of schooling. The kids who had technology and were one to one learned more mm-hmm. in lots of different ways hmm. than the kids who didn't have any technology. So Mm -hmm. she's kind of very pro-technology. Then she found this other interesting fact. In the classrooms where it was a two-to-one model, two kids Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. per one device, those kids learned more than the kids who had one-to-one. Wow. And what they learned more of was cooperation. That's incredible. You know, and you think about that, you go, oh my gosh. Yeah. That makes so much sense. It that, makes a lot of sense. That yeah. these kids had to negotiate, how do we share this device? How do we do collaborative work together? And yeah. they, were, they were really, you know, using a lot of SEL skills that sure. they wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, the other thing that's just fascinating to me from an administrator point of view is think of the money we could save oh, yeah. in our schools yeah. if we did a two-to-one well, model instead of a one-to-one model. And improve your performance. Now, right? there's all kinds of factors why that's never going to happen. And right. unfortunately, forces beyond me, they're going to have that. But I just think it's fascinating. And it what fascinating. it real also points to is the crucial importance of me being able to do the things that I want to do that mm-hmm. are very personal and individualized to me plus right. my ability to learn from others, learn with others, mm-hmm. uh, and, and what that's going to add to who I am. And we know okay. from our SEL research, it's it's going to be huge uh, because relationships are, in some ways, that's really one good. of the most important things we can have. You know what it also brings to mind for me is, like, you brought, those are the two most important points. Also, focus, like, is a thing that is practiced. Um, attention is a thing that is being constantly hacked at in, with, mm-hmm. as technology advances faster than we mm-hmm. can monitor it. Um, I wonder if having to do the exchange, there's like a, there's like an implicit accountability there. Mm-hmm. You know, Hey, I'm, you, you got it for an hour, you know, like you, you gotta be on task. I'm gonna need it soon. Or, you know? Yeah. So, so how much does being responsible to another human being in our life? Yeah affect right our self-awareness and self-management yeah. i think it's critically important and that's why when we talk about and again whether we use the castle model or any of the other scl models that are sure. out there they they all tend to have this connection that's between the individual and others mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. how we operate in our world yeah. and i think absolutely um the, there is a, a direct relationship between my ability to be self-aware or to self-manage mm-hmm. and my ability to be aware of others. And in that moment, sort of understand that connection or be impacted mm-hmm. by that. You know, hopefully we get to a place of altruism, which is where I'm thinking about myself, but I'm also thinking about the other person. And then when I get to that fifth area, which is decision-making, mm-hmm. I make a decision that takes all of that into account. Can you have self-awareness outside of some kind of feedback from the world. Uh, yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely. I mean, there, there, you know, absolutely. Now, again, how, how do you know what kindness is if you have no one to true. practice it? Cert- with certain it, things, it, right? Certain things, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But, but certainly, when we talk about self awareness and this ability to be um, in touch with who I am, my strengths and my limitations. Yep. Yeah. Uh, certainly, I can come to some of that by myself. Sure. I sure. can get to that place. And I can also practice some of the skills we attach to self-awareness, things like mindfulness uh, mm-hmm. practices, things like meditation, uh, the you know, focused attention. These mm-hmm. are all things that I can do without other people. I yeah. can do that on my own. But but there's no doubt that it's, it's going to be heightened. My self-awareness um, practicing practices and my self-awareness skills are going to be heightened when I find myself in different contexts. And if those contexts are with relationships with other people, that's going to impact it. 
So I'm, I appreciate that. And I'm telling you, I've never had this thought until just now in this office. Because <laughs> it, it reminds me, because I'm, I'm preaching self-awareness all the time. We're trying to do it nonstop. We, we use the weight room as a, as a place to like, you know, physical self-awareness. Where's my joint position relative to constantly trying to encourage it. But what I'm thinking of now is like some of the research on, you know, um, like how do babies dream and, and things like that. Like, mm-hmm. don't you have to have some symbols to create the ideas from meaning and, and where I'm going with this is the truest form of self-awareness. Doesn't it somehow have to be informed by the world around you. Yeah, I'm self-aware within this context. Um, like I said, what is good and bad? Can I, would I be able to have, I'm, I'm thinking my own mindful practices, to be grateful for what? How do I know grateful for this because, in part because it's not that other mm-hmm. negative thing? I mean, I, I, there's no doubt that that it's, again, things are simultaneous Things are enhanced. Yeah, but but yeah. we also know that there is enough um, that's going on within us and you know that that is that there is a you know there, there's enough that we can focus on within ourselves that we, we you know we don't have to necessarily do that with others in relationship to others yeah. and it can actually be probably for selfish reasons or for my own purposes and not in connection with others mm-hmm. um, and and you know we can look at uh, people who have deep meditative practices mm-hmm. practices or uh, individuals who have been in isolation mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know and or, or go through that kind of uh, meditative practice every day where they're really focusing on themselves. Um, there's a limit to it though. So mm-hmm. the answer is yes, it can be on ourselves and we can, it doesn't have to go in connection with anyone else. Um, and, and, Cause here's the other thing, emotions happen within us, whether we're in relationship with others or not. I mean, mm-hmm. we do, yeah, we do a, experience like emotions mm-hmm. and that's really, mm-hmm. and again, this is an important piece too that, we don't oftentimes talk about the role of emotions mm-hmm. in everything that happens within us uh, or, or around us. And and, uh, and again, some people have studied this to great depth. And uh, Would Lisa Feldman Barrett be one of those people? <laughs> she could be one just of those in case people. She's hearing Richie Davidson, who's up at the University of Wisconsin, is another one who's just done incredible work. Yeah. You know, focused, you know, he's done work with the Dalai Lama and, and others uh, related to this idea of the self and meditation practices and how they impact us. And so um, lots and lots of examples of that. So, yeah, so I, I think the, the, the importance of self-awareness as a starting place, in fact, when we do work and I do work in self and uh, social emotional learning, you know, again, right or wrong, uh, I choose to start with self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it is foundational. Now it's hard for me to work with students or teachers or, you know, parents around, self-awareness mm-hmm. without also talking about self-management that that, right. the, that to parse those two apart and i've had to do some of this recently is is difficult for us to do so we oftentimes will present and 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 dig into self-awareness and self-management as a couple you know mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that we will connect social awareness and relationship building mm-hmm. as two sort of halves of the same coin two sides of the same coin I think what I like is this concept of, you know, self-awareness and self-management is not just focused on myself. It's not right. just that. There is context. There is relationships. There are uh, situations that we need to take into account because it's in that real world that we exist. Right, right. As, a, as myself. Right. And so th- that's why the, it's hard to parse these things apart. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, I think 
most models will put them together in a circle as opposed to a continuum in right. order. Yep. There, there is a piece though. Well, so I, so I start with self-awareness and self-management, especially with kids and adults, because we do have some experience under our belts, right? But when we think about where do I learn those things, let's go back to the beginning of the conversation. Where did I learn this, uh, my ability to be aware of myself, my ability to manage my emotions, my ability to get up every morning and be positive. Yeah. Some of that may be coming from inside me. Mm -hmm. Some of it probably I would learn when I was in the womb or I was an infant mm -hmm. or I was a toddler. Sure. Before I could put words to these things, before I could have examples or have a lot of experience, I learned it from watching my mom and my dad and, right. the, you know, my, and, and the people around me or television or whatever movies, you mm -hmm. know, whatever it was, was coming into me. Uh, so that's the other piece of this is mm -hmm. that. Uh, it's great to maybe it's so you can think about SEL as a continuum a little bit, but I think it's you can't marry yourself to that vision. I think right. the circular nature or the integrative nature, it's integrative, almost like a three-dimensional yeah. model here where these are cross-cutting concepts as yeah. much as they are in relationship side by side. Can I tell you a metaphor that the circle makes sense? So I'm picturing the circle. I'm making it three-dimensional. It's now a bowl. Yeah. We talk about, uh, I called it soup the other day. I got pushed back. <laughs> they said, why not curry or gumbo? I said, fair enough. <laughs> Whatever you want. But but wouldn't, couldn't, back to, I'm pointing to a whiteboard right now where we have written, couldn't we agree that? If we were to agree that these are the five core capacities, mm -hmm. and there's probably some other more advanced nuanced levels. For sure. But it, it, it's it's they come together in this soup of you know it's it's an mm -hmm. art and a science and sometimes you need a little more self management you know your self awareness might be just fine or maybe your social skills have gone you know and we're sort yeah. of constantly tinkering with these things that are interacting always yeah for sure and 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 you know so here's why I go back to self awareness we all need to be at a place where we're self aware to to gauge right if I need more of this or less of that or right. whatever so right. that's why for me self awareness is, is kind of critical. The, the, the several researchers like Lawrence Steinberg will say, and, and Angela Duckworth will yeah. say that actually uh, the most important is self-management. Mm -hmm. That ability to set a goal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to stick to it or yeah. to, to, you know, this is what all of that research is sure. based on, right? Carol Dweck's research. I mean, all yeah. this research yeah. is based on this ability for me. It's the marshmallow test. Right? Yeah. The marshmallow yeah, that's test, right. Uh, which if you don't know the marshmallow test is... Uh, you, know, you, you put a kid in a room with a marshmallow and you say, you know, one way to look at it is how long can you last before you grab that marshmallow and eat it? Right. Or the, the, the better uh, experiment is to say, uh, I'm going to give you this marshmallow, but if you wait five minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. That's right. And you see if someone can manage to not Hold eat out the marshmallow. The right? That's where we right. get to you know, Duckworth and... and, and, and Delay uh, of gratification. Right. Dweck's uh, work on all this. So, you know, they really feel like the, the key to, especially when we talk about student success, young mm -hmm. person learning in school or wherever, that that student success of learning the world around them and, and learning new things uh, really comes from that ability to, to self-manage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, th that's that's another point of view. Certainly, you know, we've got other colleagues and, and mentors who've said it's all about relationships, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, all learning needs to happen through a relationship or happens through a relationship. Um, these kinds of concepts where relationships then suddenly become the mm -hmm. most important thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think, you know, then we've got, you know, then we also have 
the model that, that Castle has, which includes decision making and saying, yeah. isn't the goal of all of this mm-hmm. to have people make good decisions? So right. isn't that the piece that we should sort right. of be focusing on? They're all important. They're right, totally. And they all fit together. So yeah. so can I add, maybe, I don't know if I, you've heard about this, I'm assuming it's at least across your desk. There's a thousand, I'm sitting in an office with a thousand books, which is actually <laughs> cut down from maybe 3,000 from when I was last in your office. So but um so they, I believe, and I don't want to quote the research, but I like the idea, so I feel at least comfortable sharing the idea. They did a follow-up marshmallow test with crayons. Does this sound familiar at all? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Certainly not. There have possible. definitely been a, a follow-up. People have done, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they've, yeah. They've riffed on the marshmallow test yeah. before. Yeah. But one of them was, and this, this now brings in both, labor gratification, relationships, trust. They, uh, you know, they give kids a coloring book or, or whatever the situation was, and crayons. Now... Um, they said something along the lines of, uh, maybe the crayons were all broken and they said, Hey, we'll come, we're going to go get you some new crayons. We'll be back in a minute. And depending on how trustworthy that person was, meaning did they actually come back in a few minutes? Did they come back in 15 minutes? Did they not come back at all? They come back and say, Hey, we don't have any crayons for you, whatever. Depending on that, that sort of primed the student to then take a marshmallow type test and then, like, because their relationship with the person that they were that was uh, instructing them was was now somewhat different, um, the outcomes change. Now, then you ask, is that a, is that a test of relationships or delay of gratification? Right. Probably yeah. both. Right? I did read that. I did read that article. Yeah. And, uh, interesting. Isn't it? it was is yeah. very interesting. And that's you know I think it's good that we're digging into the different aspects of this and, and yeah because it because then on the other side. Where does all this research lead us? It leads us to practice That's right. and, and hopefully That's right. good practice. Yeah. And 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 in, in a lot of things, just like a lot of things, if we put this in the hands of great teachers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, not just classroom teachers, but teachers writ large, uh, you get that into into their hands. Uh, those practitioners can take that and just run with it and yep. do some really amazing things that right. even the researchers couldn't imagine. And, right. and, you know, it's important. I mean, we're here, you know, at a university and, and thinking about the, the research that's done here. Uh, you know, many researchers that I've worked with would never assume what their research could be used for. Right you know, by practitioners. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, they get very worried mm-hmm. about oh, yeah. assuming that because they'll say, I don't know that job. I don't know that life. I don't have those skills. Right. So that's, that's where I think we're, uh, there's a disconnect a little bit between research and practice and a Without disconnect question. between higher ed and, and let's say K-12, the K-12, pre-K-12 world. Um, uh, but, you know, I think, I think there's a lot to be said and there's a lot of things they can say about it. Um, and so I'm always fascinated to see when I love putting researchers and practitioners in a conversation with each other right. and, and exactly. see what happens. Yeah. So the brain research is a great example of mm-hmm. this for teachers to understand mm-hmm. neuroscience. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be neuroscientists. There's a difference between understanding sure, neuroscience sure. Right. and being a neuroscientist. But if you can understand neuroscience yeah. as a teacher, as a parent, mm-hmm. as a student, right, 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 and really, I think a lot of the work that you're doing is getting into the mind-body-brain connection, mm-hmm. the neuroscience behind it. Yep. And and the problem is, is that the brain is a black box, right? And 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 unless we explain that to mm-hmm. kids, right. or explain it to teachers, or explain it to parents, or any of us. 
it's more difficult for us to then be able to come up with new approaches, new mental models we, right. to, to break out of, to either question reality or a perception of reality, or to break out of the structures that have been developed culturally around us. It's difficult for us to see something new. So uh, I'm a big fan of ways that we can very quickly and simply explain for example, the different major functions of the brain or understand mm-hmm. the stress response sure. uh, or to understand why relationships yeah. affect us in our mind, body and brain. Right. right. So that's so that's so good. And I'm, I'm making some, some drawings as you talk to this <laughs> because that, that, without question, that's what we talked about this before. But um, there's some good people, including um, us of the Good Athlete Project, trying to bridge the gap between research and practice. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you would bring those to find willing participants on both sides to, to come closer to the center aisle and, and have a conversation is so needed. Um, the neuroscience stuff. In fact, even the, just you said brain science, that yes. was something that was re- uh, yeah. recommended to me at one point, like neuroscience sounds too big. Talk about brain. Everyone's <laughs> yes. got a brain. We know yes. what that is. And you know, and, and ultimately you get to the, you get to the question of what is most digestible. Should we talk about, let's talk about neuroscience through um, a, in, in terms of concept. Mm-hmm. Not you know. Right. Do we need to talk about the role of acetylcholine in this? Yeah, process? transmitters right. and things like right. that. Right. right. It's, it's not going to work. So right. we, we, you know, we gra- I gravitate towards um, the people who are really trying to put this into terms. Uh, you know that that you know. I think you know certainly. Uh, you know, Dan Siegel is another one. If you if you haven't checked out Dan Siegel's work, uh, he is somebody who has is really trying to bridge the gap yeah. and trying to to. to connect with people to understand this and he's the one who really says if we can get this in the hands of teachers it's going to be a game changer and and uh i love one of the things he does is he he simplifies the brain into basically three parts of the brain yeah uh he has people use the what he calls the handy model of their brain which is you take your thumb you take your hand you put your thumb down you know Mm -hmm. into the palm Mm -hmm. of your hand Mm -hmm. and you close your four fingers over the top of it and you hold it up Mm -hmm. and you now have the model of the brain Mm -hmm. and you have you know you know, you've got the prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. you've got the hippocampus, and you've got the amygdala. And yeah. the amygdala is the thumb, right? And it's yeah. closest to the inside of the brain, which is why it's the lizard brain. Right. And then right. you go down your arm, and it's the connection to your spinal column mm-hmm. and the different nervous systems. And this is the mind-body-brain uh, connection. And he says, everybody's got this model in their hands, and he teaches kids mm-hmm. how to just put their thumb around their hands like this and think about when they're having a moment, when they yeah. need to take three deep belly breaths and reset. It's to get the prefrontal cortex to take over instead of the amygdala. Right. He's teaching this to people. This is neuroscience. It's, it's brain yeah. science. Yeah. But he's doing it in so terminology usable. that right. is so usable. Yeah. And um, and I just think really smart. So, you know, this is the thing that really has been the aha for me in the last 10 years has been to deeply understand those concepts mm-hmm. in a way that I can translate them to people mm-hmm. who are going to do something really amazing with them. Yeah. That the SEL work, certainly that's been booming over the last uh, yep. 20 years, but certainly the last 10 years, and, and obviously has become even more critically important in 2020 and 2021 uh, as we've gone through this, this pandemic, is you know how can we know these things better so we understand things like stress, anxiety, and trauma, because mm-hmm. Lord knows that's what yeah. we've been living in. Yeah, yeah. yeah and we still are yeah. living in mm-hmm. a trauma event this is maybe Hmm. so important for people to understand that that what we had beginning uh with the pandemic 
it has been a trauma event for all of us in a way that none of us have experienced this kind of trauma before. Right. Uh, it is it is international. It's global trauma. Yeah. It's uh, localized trauma. It's individualized trauma. And it's trauma that is not fleeting. Usually trauma hmm. is fleeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there are, you know, individuals who live in trauma for days and weeks and months mm. and years. Uh, we have examples of that. We have examples of generational trauma. Yeah. But for this many people, right? I mean, just millions and millions and millions of people around the globe to be experiencing trauma like we are currently experiencing it, yeah. for us to not recognize the, that that has derailed me. Hmm. It has derailed me. I am not operating in the hmm. way that I was in 2019. Right. Or I will in 2025, hopefully, right. you know, down the road. That this moment, I, I with the metaphor I've used is that we are in the car accident. The hmm. car is still tumbling through the air. Mm-hmm. We have not yeah. landed. Yeah. And so... The amygdala is taken over. We are not, you know, engaging the prefrontal cortex like we should. None of this is normal. None of this is usual. Uh, and and none of us have gotten used to it. You know, it, it's, it's, it just hasn't become um, normal. And, uh, and the sooner we realize that, the sooner we can give ourselves a break around yeah. dealing with each other or doing things like teaching school every day. Teaching school, right. I mean, my Lord, how are we yeah. doing this? How is anyone doing this? It's so interesting. And it, 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 I'm telling you, I'm having sort of an aha moment when you say these things. And um, we, We've been talking a lot of, to um, all sorts of practitioners who are having a very difficult time this year. Mm-hmm. And I think now that you've said that, might be missing the idea that this is still going on, that, that the car is still tumbling or, or whatever the situation yeah. may be. Uh, you know, because what they're saying in so many words is the things that we used to do and were effective are no longer. Yeah. And it's frustrating us. Yeah. And the students are, you know, they're, they're using worse language. The attention is oh, yeah, fleeting, yeah, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and maybe not recognizing that, that we're still in the middle of this thing. Yeah. And you in know, fact, it might get better. I mean, it, you yeah. know, this idea of like, I think it's just the moment. And, yeah. and, I, and I don't know if there's a recognition of it. Partially because it's day to day, and we're living this day to day life, but also because the idea of a trauma event continuing—you know—think about that. I mean, if you if you're mm-hmm. in a car accident or you witness a car accident, you know, if you're in a, a terrible tornado or you witness a terrible tornado, these are fleeting moments, right? Right. This is ongoing trauma. Yeah. yeah. It's not even toxic trauma. I mean, it it can be for some people, but like racism is, or you know, or, or poverty. But this is ongoing trauma, and it's wearing, and the wear and tear on us, and and we're not even recognizing it. And the first step to solving any problem is recognizing right. that there's a problem. Yeah. And and unless we realize that getting out of bed and getting to school every day for kids and parents and teachers and staff is under duress, unless we understand that, we're never going to be able to to make progress. To stop, right. So this is why. You know, we want to raise the awareness around these things. We want mm-hmm. to always start with, uh, how are you feeling? Yeah. How are you doing right now? Yeah. Every day, every interaction, every moment. How are you yeah. doing? Are you okay? How's yeah. You know, these kinds of things. Um, I don't even need to say, can I do anything? Right. It's just the recognition. How are you do- right. Like, uh, how are you doing? And you know what I like about that? You said every day. <laughs> yes. And, and, and what's exciting about that to me is I was actually, um, I was talking to someone on a podcast recently. <clears throat> 
they were talking about SEL as this ecosystem and every touch point in the school or in et cetera, et cetera. And they were like, man, if, uh, uh, if your mom told you she loved you once, she wouldn't suggest, you know, she's not, it's not lasting. And she's like, what are you I told you two years ago, I'd love right. you. What, what do you expect from me? You know, yes. but like every morning as you walk out the door, probably just a gentle reminder. Yeah. So that, that routine check-in, yeah. um, normalizing, checking in with folks. Seems like a yeah, and I think we we just fly right by. Yeah, we do. You know, we right. fly right by it, and and you know, it's not it's not that maybe we should be again if we were not in this trauma event. You know, I think we still should be checking in with people. Sure. And there are things that I was doing before the pandemic that I thought were you know really powerful in doing that. Whether it was running a meeting or teaching a class mm-hmm. or my interactions with people. Uh, I think it's it's part again it's part of who I am and how I operate to, yeah. to create those connections and to check in with people because I'm right. in a caring profession it's who yeah. I am right all those things but boy it's it's even more important right now yeah. and and then there's the reciprocal part of this it's the vulnerability of being hmm. able to say I'm not doing so well today. right or I'm distracted and here's why and do, are we in a situation where you could do that with a stranger hmm. Or you could do it with your boss, or you could do it with your teacher, mm. or you could do it with you know a, a, a peer. Are we in a culture where that's mm. not only okay, it's it's acceptable, yeah, and it's expected. Someone's expected, right? Right. right. <laughs> right. So I don't think we're in that world. I don't think we live no, in that world, that and I think there's it's rare when we are. But there are some places. There are some places where that's the world. Yeah. There's some schools where that's the world. That's there's some companies where that's the the world that they live in. I don't think it's universal. I'm going to ask your advice for the the coach who might be listening and might be thinking of a of of this polarity idea. Mm-hmm. You know, we we talked before before we hit record. Tough and kind mm-hmm. aren't these both appropriate? And how do you manage those things? Do you think the balance is sort of skewed to the kind in the dramatic moment? Does that feel instinctively, like, does that feel correct? And, and, mm. and I'm thinking of the guidance to give to a coach because you sort of, you, you, in, to some degree, you get what you model, mm-hmm. you get what you teach for. Um, in fact, a friend of mine once said in the early stages of my coaching, you're either, you either teach it or allow it. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever behaviors it is that you're seeing. And yeah, I, I wonder how you'd manage that. Well, I, I, I'll, from my personal experience, uh, I always lead with kindness. Yeah. I always lead with kindness and, and it has led me to, I can tell you right now that again, based on your context and I think yeah. coaching is a very interesting context to talk about yeah. these things yeah. in. Uh, I, I, I will, I think, um, I know I have not, um, I've been up for job promotions or certain positions where I have not gotten the job primarily because the perception was I was going to be kind rather than tough. Hmm. Interesting. And I know, because I've been a coach and I've worked with lots of coaches and, and that, that the hmm. perception is as much as we say we'd like to have a kind coach i think given the competitive nature of most sports endeavors Mm -hmm. uh there are lots and lots of places where people would choose tough over kind yeah Uh, and i think some of the research that you and i both know of that that where where kindness actually leads to greater success flies in the face of what we think 
either internally or culturally mm-hmm. is what the way we should be in a coaching world. And so, interesting. you know, I, I know the side of me that is a teacher, the side of me, and I look, hey, as a teacher, uh, that's another place mm-hmm. where you better be serious and tough yeah. and, you know, you know, you don't smile until Christmas. I mean, right, that right. whole old adage was very much what I was raised in as a mm-hmm. teacher. And the idea of being too kind or whatever, I was dragged into my department chair's office at the uh, quarter of my first nine weeks of teaching. And he laid out for me all of the grades that junior teachers had given to juniors that quarter. And he showed me the number of A's I had given out in comparison to the more veteran staff. And he said, I'm appreciative and I'm actually glad that you erred on the side of the students and gave 22 out of 25 A's, (laughs) you know, some form, A minus A, whatever. And he said, I'd rather that's where we were starting from than if you had given out 22 F's. Right. Oh, of course. Right. But then there was the but. (laughs) Right, right, right. This is not correct. Now, in my head, and I still remember this very vividly because I thought I was going to lose my job because back then <laughs> tenure was two years, which is basically 18 months. You had to prove yourself. I thought, uh, I thought, yeah, but I, I laid everything out for my students to achieve that A. If you did this, this, and this to this level, yeah. you'll get an A. Yeah. And that's what I did. And they did. And right? I stepped up. And, and, and he listened. He said, okay, I hear you. He said, um, <laughs> but what was the standard that you were holding them against? You know, so he went through a process where he helped me understand what was sort of the standard for an A, B, C, D, F mm-hmm. in this particular context. And sure. it was different than the context I was in before. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So I think, I guess I tell that story because inherently, kind of innocently slash ignorantly, <laughs> I was giving A's to Everybody, you get an A, you get an A, you get an A. Everybody was getting A's. Uh, and I had to kind of learn the context to realize that that probably wasn't, uh, it wasn't appropriate. Sure. But um, I, I think that's an example in my world. And I'm a writing teacher. I do remember, you know, I, I think there there is, I remember students saying to me that they respected me and liked me because I was a tough person greater. And what they meant by that, I think, was the amount of love and work I put into feedback on their writing. Yeah. The amount of time I spent with them. Mm -hmm. And again, to me, it was about kindness. It was about relationships. It was about helping another human being, about altruism. Uh, And it wasn't about grading. For them, grading was feedback. They were really talking about feedback. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and even, you know, they respected me because even when I, you know, they would say, you're a tough grader, you're a tough grader. Um, but they all would also say, but I learned how to write. Hmm. Yeah, right. I learned how to write. So I, I think all these things, um, you know, disciplinarians. I mean, I didn't get a couple of positions because people thought I was not going to be able to be tough enough hmm. with the kids or tough enough with the adults yeah. Uh, yeah. in those roles. I think a lot of people questioned my ability as a principal hmm. to be tough. I had to be tough. Uh, and, and I never have led with that. And, and I guess I had, I was disappointed when I didn't get those positions, but I think at the end of the day, at the end of my, you know, career, uh, looking back on those, the 31 years I've been in education, 
I'm much happier that I went that route. Mm, yeah. There were a few times when I was vindicated that leading with kindness as opposed to being tough mm-hmm. turned out to be the right thing to do. And I had some people actually come to me afterwards and say, you know, you were right. Yeah. You know? Well, I believe that. And, and I'll say two things to jump out from that. One is if for every, every time someone finds you and says, you know what, you were right. There are dozens of other, you know, that just don't make it to the attention. But man, I, you know, this came up with, with one of my coaches just recently. He said to a group, I thought it was, he's 24. I thought this was wise beyond his years. He was like, look, I'm going to give you every benefit of the doubt, but don't make mistake my kindness for weakness. Mm. We still have expectations. We're still going to guide you in very, you know, at yeah. times very challenging ways. Yep. So let's not fly off the handle. We need to, you know, this was a, conversation and yeah. them returning to the focus of uh, you know the, the task really cool. No, it's but, really cool. Yeah. And I yeah, because the curbside view, maybe you don't get that. Yeah. But um you clearly you're getting the outcomes. You're changing people's lives. You're showing them how to write. There's an accountability right. factor. Right. And and I you know I think and you know tough is not mean. You know, we can start discerning these things, the right. differences. Right. Tough is not mean and, and mm-hmm. maybe tough and kind are actually not the opposites. Maybe they're not the polarity opposites. <laughs> that is so of course, right? Why we kind of pitted them against each yeah, other. Yeah. Tough and easy. Tough and you know, tough I don't and know. Easy. I don't know what you know, Kind maybe. and mean. Yeah, yeah really kind yeah. and mean. And yeah. I and I but I think we conflate those things. Yeah, that's and I right. think it's really hard for us because what does, you know, a colleague of ours does this work, of, and you've done this. Look at the pictures of these coaches. Yeah. It's, you know, what's the emotion mm-hmm. or what are they teaching in that, with that picture, you know, mm-hmm. that glimpse yeah. of that moment. And someone who is being tough can actually be in that moment being kind. Hmm. Someone who's being tough, maybe I would identify as tough, could also be mean in mm-hmm. that moment. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's kind of cruel. It can be cruel. Yeah. It can be really good. In fact, uh, one of my colleagues talks about mentors and tormentors. You know, Ooh, and there's like, I love that piece, That's right? That's good. Uh, and so, I don't know. It's, it's hard to parse some of these things uh, in, in that way. But I think it's useful. I think it's useful because it gets at, um, some of it gets at um, perception. Mm-hmm. Some of it gets at intention. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and there's, there's arguments about whether we should even look at intention at intention because, uh, the outcome is actually the most important thing. Whatever I intended doesn't Hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter to the other person. Hmm. It's the outcome. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. And, and and we get into this when we talk about, you know, race and and equity issues, race, race, class and gender and, and these kinds of things. The, and I think this is a very now uh, sort of concept is, uh, you know, intention doesn't matter. And we, we you know, the, the road to, you know, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's right. Uh, but but I think what is really powerful about where we are in 2021 and, and, and where we are right now is that we're focusing on outcomes and the impact that what we do has on others. I think we're going to come back to a place where we're also going to want to be talking about intentionality. I think right. that is important. Right. I think right. It's, I think it's a critical piece if we really want to change individuals. Yep. Um, but I think when we talk about systemic issues or we talk about um, the, the much of what we do tends to be focused on ourselves. Yeah. Uh, that we don't flip it and talk about the people around us yeah. and the people who are affecting. And this is very important in teaching and in yeah. education because yeah. our whole purpose in existing yeah. is to help others. 
I love that. And and I'll tell you the amount of sports metaphors that are rushing through my head. Right now, <laughs> it's just because it's like, you know, you, you run a play. Great intention. Did it work? Ah. You know, just like, in fact, one of the ways that I guide uh, my staff is I, as we start to let the rope out and give more and more accountability, you've got to be able to answer a few things. Number one, what was the intention behind the exercise selection, the way you did it, all these things, the way you interacted with a young person. And then that's, that's question one. And then question two is, did it work? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Here's what I was trying to do. Here's, you know, the outcome. And then, you know, and then manage those two things. Yeah. Well, I, I believe that that's what you're trying to do. Looks like it didn't. So let's come <laughs> back and, and, you know, and reimagine, which is fine. Well, and you said something really interesting earlier, which is just what, what sports allows us to do. It, it's sort of a, a, a wonderful place where we can look at those kinds of things. Because yeah. there is a sort of, and I think it's, you know, there's a lot of other places where we can see that. You know, teaching is another great place where, yeah. we, you know, this is why here, especially, you know, and, and in a lot of other places, you know, we're to, to connect it back to athletics. We're learning a lot. We've learned a lot over the years of how athletics has used video hmm. as a really, really useful tool yep. for yeah. the individual to reflect, but also for us to notice things that we don't notice in the instantaneous moment, right? Yep. And so we do this with teaching candidates now. And, and the use of so video in, in pre-service teachers, especially when you're learning how to do something like you're learning how to drive or whatever, you know, or you're learning how to do a, a, some kind of movement in athletics, you know, to have that outside view of yourself and to really help, it helps a lot. But this is true of experienced teachers too, to be able to have another set of eyes and even better to have your set of eyes see the video of what you're mm-hmm. doing, you're, you're doing. This is still, I think, a, brave new world in education that we have to catch up with where athletics is really good i love this idea yeah it's it we're it's we've had some really amazing research being done here we spent a lot of time there's a lot of good research that we've done here on noticing we're not the only place that does it but noticing and the ability the skill Mm -hmm. the skill that it takes to be really good at noticing learning Mm -hmm. noticing you know, whatever actions it might be. And that's, you know, I think that's what great coaches do. And I yeah. think that's what great teachers do is that they're able to notice yeah. this kid is grappling with something, right? And am I aware? It goes back to self-awareness. Uh, am without I, am question, I right? aware right now mm-hmm. of myself and am I socially aware of what's going on in this other person to the point where I can actually start to see things and connect dots? Yeah. That if I was kind of asleep at the wheel or I wasn't paying attention, I wouldn't, you know, and that, that we, we've, we really looked at, you can develop that skill. You can develop the skill. No right? question. But you have to practice it. There's some tricks of the trade, right? There's yeah. some things you want to do. And video is just a really great technological it's so, tool. That's so smart. Yeah. I mean, talk about developing self-awareness. You know, and, and, and maybe that's, you know, because sometimes the truth is yourself doesn't see yourself as yes. it is, you know, yes. you know, there, there yes. are, there's like a little asterisk on the very concept of self-awareness. You know, sometimes we are mistaken. Yes. Um, yes. And, and, and that's, that's sort of in, in, in sports, they say the eye in the sky doesn't lie. You know, <laughs> I, I, you, I thought you said you blocked that defensive end. Well, you know, yeah. evidence is to the contrary, right. but right. Um, yeah, that's, that's just really good. So uh, I'm, I got to share this with you and the listeners. Um, we have this idea because sometimes what we've talked about, we've talked about like everything matters at once. There's so many components. Mm. For some people, this feels like a heavy lift. I think 
what we're ultimately getting to though is like we talked earlier about developing a toolbox mm. one of the tools that we share with people i'm really interested in this i wonder if it resonates with your time teaching specifically we call it scanning for deltas mm. and we took this term from um essentially aviation where there's a thousand you, you picture you, if you ever po peeked your head into a cockpit right thousand buttons and knobs and things like this have i shared this with you before no, I okay no. so i mean nearly overwhelming which may be where some folks first jumping into the science behind the practice yeah. but might be where they feel fair enough but uh, scanning for deltas, the pilots, and we got this from an Air Force pilot, uh, a naval pilot, actually, um, they don't look at a thousand buttons and knobs at once. At once. They, they, they put together a really clear understanding of essentially of how it should be or how they want it to be. That's where the intentionality comes in. This is what it's supposed to look like. And they, are, they just go in a system, systematic way from, from one side to the other and back. And they're scanning for anything that seems off, off base. Mm -hmm. A dial's flipped one way, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And then, boom, their attention locks in right there. And that can be something really good you get to celebrate or something that really has to be corrected in the moment. Um, but that's what that reminds me of. Yeah. So developing that sort of filter for, yeah. for and the it, environment. And, that's, and, there, and there are some people who are really good at that before they've ever step foot in the classroom mm -hmm. or they've, you know, stepped on the field or the court or whatever to be that kind of coach. Um, but for many of us, we have to develop that and it takes sure. time. And, and just like pilots can go into simulators and spend X number of hours in simulators and we can teach them thinking protocols, mm -hmm. right. decision-making protocols or approaches uh, like you described, actually, um, we are trying to do the same thing in teaching. You know, because mm -hmm. there's a thousand decisions that you make a day and there's right. a lot of Delta happening in a classroom for 40 minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so we, yeah, we're deaf. That's something that definitely resonates with us. And that's why the, the video is so helpful. Um, you know, micro teaching, which is sort of this, this sort of breaking things down into just a few minutes at a time and maybe videotaping that and going back and looking at it and practicing it and building it up. It's not, and, and, you know, you can do the whole, it's a good thing to do the whole, you want to see what the end result should be or what, you know, you want to practice the whole, but boy, breaking things into their parts and slowing things down and, and having some protocols, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of the work that I've been doing these last, you know, number of years has been, you know, really thinking about and working with, you know, people who are going into teaching for the first time. And, yeah. and for some of them, it is a very alien experience and they have to, and they have assumptions based on watching a lot of teachers in their lives and being professional students. Yeah. But the minute you're suddenly in that role, mm -hmm. it, for some people, it is a, it is a long slog to get to a place where you're figuring these things out and putting it together. So, right. Uh, yeah, so that, that self-awareness is, is really important, but it's also the scanning that becomes mm -hmm. the social awareness. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, you and to link it back to neuroscience, you know, the brain is constantly scanning. We're yeah. constantly scanning our environment, ourselves and our environment. Mm -hmm. And that's draining. Um, mm -hmm. but it's also important to note that our brain is always doing, so if we can tap into that, mm -hmm. if we can sort of, again, this gets back to self-management. Mm-hmm. If I'm aware of that and I can manage that, then we can talk about things like um, uh, wait time. We can talk about things like um, uh, 
purposeful ignoring, you know, and sometimes, you hmm. know, if, if, if you're a teacher and you're on scan mode hundred percent of the time and right. you're responding right, right. to every little thing in the classroom, you're going to be paralyzed right. and you're going to be obnoxious as a teacher. <laughs> right. uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, what we want to do is we want to let things go. Yeah. You know, kids are clicking his fingers or pen or whatever, you know, you want to let that go. You know, right, is that right, really right. that big of a deal? It's making those decisions in the moment of what mm -hmm. is really important, like your fire pilot, you know, being yep. able to say what's really important. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, teaching is one of those complicated acts that, you know, so many people think, oh, I could do it. You know, <laughs> right. I could do it. I've seen teachers. I've been in classrooms. I could do this. But the act of teaching is actually much more complicated right. than what we oftentimes give credit to or we show in, you know, uh, a movie or on TV. Right. That's totally fair. Well, and it's also a good transition. Uh, you right now, can you give, give us a little more uh, understanding of, of where you are now? You came yeah. over here in one capacity and yes. now you've got this incredible new venture. Yeah. So, so we, you know... Uh, I came over here. I've been working in this program for a long, long time as a teacher educator. I did it when I was an adjunct and I was, I was teaching and an administrator at the, at the high school and I was working here in the summers and, and in the evening. I did that for about 14 years actually. And then came over as the director of this, of this program, which is the teacher education program. And so we're interested in preparing elementary, middle, and high school teachers to get into a classroom and, yeah. and teach. It's a very small program. It's a pretty traditional program mm -hmm. in the sense that you come and you take classes and you get a degree and, and you go and you teach. It's a little non-traditional in that we, we're a master's program. So mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of career changers. We have a lot of older, mm -hmm. older adults. Sure. We, we don't have as many... Like I was, I was a 19-year-old learning how to teach. Like I right, was an right. undergrad getting my teaching license. This master's program, we tend to have people who have worked for three, four, five years, sometimes up to 20 years in yep. another profession. Mm -hmm. And they've seen the error of their ways. And they've decided, <laughs> I don't want to do this job anymore. I want to be a mm -hmm. seventh grade math teacher. Or yep. I want to be an elementary teacher. I want to be a high school physics teacher. And so it's really been fascinating to work with these adult learners yes. who are spending one, two, or three years, uh, usually around two years, studying to be and learning how to be a teacher, and then they go and get jobs, and it's really sure. been great. So that's most of the work that I've done for the last, you know, seven years. Mm -hmm. uh, in the midst of all that, we also began to be interested in how do we help existing teachers. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. pre-service education is in those you know, one to four years before you become a classroom teacher. And that's what most teacher education is at the university level. We also want to do, do more work in years one through 40. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, yeah. so what were we doing to help right. teachers and schools and districts, um, you know, get better, improve, yeah. you know, uh, progress in their careers mm -hmm. and in their, in their schools. So we started small. We began doing a lot more, you know, doing some professional development, professional learning. And one of the areas that we got, became intrigued with is this concept of teacher leadership. Mm -hmm. Teacher leadership is not administration. It is not what we would call school leadership or district leadership mm -hmm. or even or building leadership in the sense of you get certain skills that you need to be a principal or mm -hmm. an assistant principal or a dean or a, a superintendent. This is for teachers 
who want to continue to be classroom teachers and do really well there, become master teachers in their classrooms. But they also want to do work in the school, the district, or the community to improve the lives of kids, the school, that kind of work. And obviously, this is something that teachers have been doing for forever, right? Forever. Um, But, you know, recently there's been a recognition in school leadership that the school or district will run better if I try to include other people. You know, this concept here that... uh, uh, you know, Professor Jim Spillane uh, coined, which is distributed leadership. Hmm. This concept that leadership is not the one person leading, it's the many. Mm-hmm. And when we take a look at schools that have really embraced this concept of every person has an opportunity to help lead this yeah. school, yeah. Uh, what we see are schools that are much more collaborative, what we would call a flat organization, mm-hmm. uh, one where the principal or the, the designated full-time leader is not exhausted, not burned out. Right. Uh, and we see people who are really fantastic with kids as classroom teachers don't have to leave. They don't have to give up like I did. I left the classroom. Right, right. I left what I was really good at, which was teaching English. Right. I left it behind. Mm. You know, I haven't taught English in 20 years almost. Mm. Uh, which is a which, which is a travesty. It's right. awful, right? right? It's not good. So teacher leadership is a recognition that teachers uh, can gain some skills in leadership writ large and specifically to the work that they're doing and maintain themselves as classroom teachers, but also have a gigantic impact on their schools, their districts, their communities, yeah. and I think the, the world. So we um, and others have identified, here are some things that probably would be really useful to know yeah. and practice and get good at to be mm-hmm. a teacher leader. Here are these things over here that principals need that probably you don't need. So let's not learn those right. things. And let's uh, let's provide people with that kind of uh, that content and, and that, that, that learning. So our so we 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 launched a master's degree in teacher leadership and we identified certain courses because that's how we do things here at the university that you sure. can take. Uh, and uh, we put together a whole master's degree. So teachers, we tend to work with teachers who have probably three years or more experience. Yeah. Uh, so they have a little bit of background in their teaching and they're ready to sort of dig into sort of bigger things. Uh, we'll take classes with us and get a master's degree. And, and if they're in the state of Illinois, they get an endorsement on their license in teacher leadership. Uh, all that has been going on for the last seven years. Hmm. In 2019, yeah. Immediately pre-pandemic, pre pre-pandemic, uh, I had the 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 the, uh, the brainstorm that uh, we could reach a lot more people if we moved our degree program online. Hmm. So we were actually a part of an experiment in this is in December of 2019. Oh, we were wow. part of an experiment with this new program called Zoom. Wow! There were 50 <laughs> licenses here at the university. That's we incredible. had two of them. And we, we tried teaching some of our classes remotely. Now, there's obviously remote teaching and learning has been going on for sure. a long, long, long time. I but, barely remember the pre-Zoom world. Yeah, I know. What was that like <laughs> yeah, back I then? I mean, we just, you know, we were, we, 
we you know we thought this was the way to go. We thought it was a way to reach more people, yeah. so that they didn't have to drive in, and in, especially in the winter time, they didn't have to drive in the snow to get to us. And teachers are exhausted at the end of the day. Do they really sure. want to come in for three hours of class at the end of the night yeah. and drive from there? You know, and so many of us, including me, have done this. I mean, f- you know, five hours a night I spend doing that on top of my teaching and everything I had to do in my life. So uh, we we you know started down that road, and then the pandemic. Yeah. And suddenly we had proof of concept right. because for the next 18 months, we had to teach our entire degree program online. Mm. So we have people who graduated this last June who spent almost their entire degree program was was online with us. Wow. And certainly this year will be the same thing in June. We have graduation. Uh, many of the people who are graduating will have done their entire degree program completely remotely. Wow. Uh, we have decided to go whole hog and do that completely. That wow. we are we are starting now. We have just shifted to a 100% online degree wow. program in teacher leadership, so that we can reach more than just the people who can drive in the immediate campus. vicinity. That's right. We are yeah. reaching people right now, mostly in other parts of the state who could normally get here. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the local people who could get here said, "This is helping me." do this sure and i think for us we're still we're still very traditional we need to get to a place where we're looking at more uh competency-based models of learning and really letting go of seat time and being online Mm -hmm. together we still think it's important and i really do philosophically believe it's important for us to be in conversation in community with each other to build those relationships to have those interactions i think that's part of learning Mm -hmm. it's not just independent study Right, right. But I think we need to lean a little bit more into the independent learning sure. and that personalized learning. And that's a, a big challenge to us. But that's where we're heading with this degree program. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. And especially with the customer profile or student profile. Or, you For know, sure. We're looking yeah. at who our customers are. These are busy teachers. Right. We need to go to where they are when they can mm-hmm. do this. And, and allow them to be able to, to get this degree, which is, and, and these skills, right? So we've already doubled the hmm. number of students in our program wow. compared to last year. Look and we that. hope to double it again next year. Sure. That's really, that's a big part of what I'm doing and what we're doing now. The other big part of what we do, it's almost 50% of it, is professional learning. So we're hmm. not just doing it around a degree model because mm-hmm. a degree gets you certain things and there's certain hoops you have to jump through as part of the university to get a degree, you know, right. certain things that have to happen. With professional learning, we can do anything. Yeah. Right? right. So we're doing much more than we've done before in both in-person and online professional learning. Uh, right. We're doing things like short 45-minute online webinars that are free to everybody. Very we're doing cool. some paid in-person and remote workshops for yeah. people. Yeah. And we're doing day-long long workshops and we're doing year-long in, in what we That's call cool. institutes, where people can dive into a topic deeply. And in some cases, they do it just for professional learning. Other people do it for a degree credit. So we're trying to really have both of these things happening at the same time. This is what I've been doing for the last 12 months, pretty much by myself in my basement, yeah. because we've been remote. Right. Right. We haven't been in the office. Uh, we've now returned to the office. We've got students on campus for our regular uh uh, degree programs and experiences. We're doing some PD in person. Um, but this entire endeavor of teacher leadership for the degree is online. Yeah. And the PD is going to be a hybrid. It's going to be some in person and some online. That's cool. And uh, 
yeah, I'm excited about this is very entrepreneurial. I haven't felt like this in a long yeah. time, probably in seven, eight years and maybe mm -hmm. even longer that I felt like I was really doing something. I was building something mm -hmm. new. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been very lonely. It's been, it hasn't <laughs> been easy. Um, well, I'm glad I could be here. Today. Yeah, I'm glad you could be here. Thank <laughs> you very much. But we're, we're heading in an exciting direction. And, exciting. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be, um, I think it's, it's going to solve some problems that I think yeah. teachers have had, and, and, you know, in terms of being able to access this stuff. But I think the bigger issue is, uh, can we get all of us? to conceptualize schools differently, how mm. we run schools differently, that it's not just the principal, it's mm. not just the superintendent, it's not just um, you know, the dean who's, who's doing all this, uh, that it's, it's really a collective yep. sort of a, 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 you know, endeavor. Yep. And, and we can get there if teachers you know, feel like they are engaged and involved in that way and if administrators are willing to do that. And I think there are some skills that I know I needed to learn that I didn't have when I was a classroom teacher. Sure. So I think some sure. things I learned from mentors and from workshops that I attended yeah. that and experiences got me better and better when I did step into those teacher leadership roles, right. whether it's you know a member of a committee or running a committee, right. whether right. it was being on a professional learning community or leading a professional learning community, right. whether it was... Um, attending a workshop or leading a workshop or interacting with families and mm, those, yeah, you know, yeah. all those things that I know led me to titled leadership positions, mm -hmm. right? I know those skills helped me to get to that place, but there were so many other things, union leadership. I mean, I, you know, I was very lucky in my first year, my first month on the job, I got dragged by some, you know, veteran teachers to my first union meeting. And it opened up for me the whole world of professional development yeah. and activism and some yeah. of the things we can do at the local level, all the way up to the things we can do at the, at the state and the national level yeah. when it comes to advocacy and the, that kind of work. I had no clue when I was training to be a teacher oh, sure. or imagining being a teacher that right. I would do any of that work. I needed to learn some skills um, that I didn't have. And so that's what we're trying to do is to arm teachers with the, give them the toolbox. That's right. To I be just wrote down great leaders. What are the key tools of a teacher leader? Yeah. So we talk about this. We talk yeah. about, well, what are those tools? What are those skills? Uh, and for some teachers, and this is really, I think, important, is for some teachers, they don't want to do that work because mm -hmm. they're afraid it will take them away from their first love. Sure. Which is the classroom. Right. The kids. Well, right. And there's a bandwidth conversation there which you seem to be addressing for sure so there's there's it's striking in two important areas okay um our audience is either leaders or or budding leaders yes if they're interested in this yeah how do they find out more so we have a wonderful website just yep. do a google search for northwestern university teacher leadership program and that'll take you to our website uh, and there's a lot of resources there first of all defining what is teacher leadership uh, we'll talk about the degree program. We'll talk about uh, the professional development. We have a journal of teacher leadership that we started there, which cool. is mostly just a blog at this point. Love it. But we're hoping that will turn into, you know, eventually the, the vision for this is not just, is certainly to have the degree program available for people who want a degree, have the professional development work for people who just want that. And then the third piece that we really want to dig into 
is to to develop a um, a research agenda hmm. because this is such <laughs> totally. a new area. Totally. There's we know so oh, little. Like we have no yeah. knowledge about how many teachers in this country are in the position of instructional coach, for example, which yeah. is a huge area for teachers to work as teacher leaders. We have no clue. Right. We have no clue how we've done no research. There's very right. little research being done around this. So eventually we want to become a place where we're either a clearinghouse or we're producing that research that right. tells us, you know, what are those skills? Are they effective? So What's not effective? You know, what are the things that we want to be avoiding? So that's the third piece that we're eventually going to get to. But, you know, so we got to go slow to get there. Oh, I love that. Well, um, Okay, so uh, I've got to go work with kids, but I could do this all day. Yeah, so I know. It's great so, talking with you. Well, it, it, so here's what's going to happen. I can't promise to the audience that we're going to hit record every time, but I hope it's okay that I that we keep this conversation yeah, going. Yeah, be great. Just, this has stimulated so many new ideas. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground. I'd be interested to go back and listen to see where we actually went because we're, I don't remember so. That's okay. <laughs> that's all right. And, and you have a constant that you can always hit record. But uh, I certainly encourage anyone listening to go to that website, do the Google search. You don't happen to have social media presence, we do We do. We're all over Facebook, right. Twitter, and LinkedIn, look and Instagram. So again, just look for Northwestern Teacher Leadership. Mostly it's those three words together, uh, and you'll find us. And those are love great it. places to go because we're putting out a lot of great content. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, just to sum up, I'd say thank you, not only for your time, but I mean this to anyone who's listening, like, I'm grateful for our relationship, everything that you've taught me every, you know, from a very early, like from the first day that I came into your office as uh, a 20 something trying to <laughs> tinkering with the idea of, of, of managing poetry and athletics at the same time uh, through till now. I'm just, I'm grateful for all that you've provided for me and, and so many others. So thanks for sharing with our audience and yeah, I look forward to more. Thank you. Absolutely. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them is up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.